Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, these are always one of my favorite shows to do. Updated SEC power rankings. I know I just put out my power rankings a couple weeks ago, but a lot has changed in the SEC, the transfer portal, coaching changes. So, you know, I just, there was enough changes in this bad boy that I had to do an updated version of this. I already put it out on the social medias, but uh, we do have a couple news and notes from across the SEC, a number of transfers. This damn transfer window, I thought, you know, it's closed, but we still got the commitments coming on the back end of that. So some potential big news for a number of programs. Before we get to that, though, Cousin Shane back. It's hard to get him to do these videos. He, <laughs> he said he was going to do them daily, and now it's become weekly. It won't be long. It'll be monthly. He'll be making these. But uh, I think we're going to call these, you know what grinds my gears? A little homage to old Peter Griffith. Let's kick it over. Cousin Shane, what's grinding his gears as he's on his little vacay from the podcast? What's going on? Cousin Shane checking in on you guys, making sure you're behaving out there and thinking about how can we make college football better? Well, one of the things we can do is fix or alter or hell get rid of the targeting penalty. I I, I think too many times this this thing has ruined games, slowed down games, caused games. Uh, I just it, and sometimes it, the worst is when it's a penalty for something else, and now that it's slowed down to uh, milliseconds, we can say, oh wait, there's targeting. Well, I guarantee if you did that to the entire game, there's several targeting penalties we're missing based off the rules. But McAdoo, think about McAdoo at the Arkansas game, uh, bowl game. I mean, that could have caused them the game. They they really could have lost that thing, but they didn't. And then when they didn't, NCAA comes out and says, hey, we made a mistake. We're going to vacate the second half or the uh, his penalty coming up in 2023. Think about McAdoo had to wait 248 days to get the second half of this penalty, which was bullshit to begin with. So I don't know. They got to do something here. I'm not big on soccer, but I know they got a yellow card and a red card. And the red one's real bad. The yellow one's kind of bad. We should have some sort of setup like that in, in college football with targeting. Um, hell, the kicker. The kicker's got two types of penalties. I mean, we could bump the kicker or we could hit the kicker. And it's a 15 and a 5. There's two different things. So why can't we have that with targeting? Got to fix that. But till tomorrow or till next time I check in, all right, great points as always from Cousin Shane. Not a ton to add here because, you know, he got to it at the at the end. Sometimes it takes Shane a little while to get to the point, but he nailed it. We have got to fix this targeting. Partic- I mean, the one he mentioned for sure with the Arkansas Bowl game, Kansas, I mean, that was ridiculous. But, you know, th- say what you want about targeting. It has changed the game. I think it's changed it for the better. And we no longer have – you remember ESPN? They used to run those segments, NFL. I think it was called Jacked Up. And it would literally show players just getting destroyed. Head injuries and they'd celebrate and, you know, you knock the guy out and all that. Anybody else has got the ball, hits the ground. One more look at it. 
Oh. oh. You see, and he only let it go because it, the ground shook it out of him. See his reaction. He got jacked up. And number one, and most people in the country knew this. Oh. This is Jake Plummer to Jeb Poutier. And just... That I understand why people are into that, but we've we had to get that out of the game. And we have gotten that out of the game. Now these hits, like we saw, I mean my God, it's the goal line. Arkansas is trying to win the football game and they're wrapping up a quarterback and they hit him and that's a targeting. That's asinine. That's completely different than head hunting. We got to get the head hunting out of the game. You do that, automatic ejection, I'm fine with it. But these other ones, like Shane says, you know, maybe maybe it is a card system. A flagrant one, flagrant two, however you want to call it, a yellow, red card situation. But these these yellows, these less severe head hits, that a lot of them, the ball carrier is about to get hit and he lowers his head and I mean, what's a defender to do? That shouldn't be a penalty either, I don't think. So we've got to change that. We're just looking for ways to improve the game. It's what the offseason's meant for. They change the rules every offseason. So hopefully, maybe maybe some good comes of this. Uh, Cousin Shane was really grinding his gears this week as he drives to and from work. But all with the news and the notes, big one here potentially for the Missouri Tigers because they landed a quarterback, something that's been missing down there in Missouri, Jake Garcia, former Miami quarterback. Interesting story here. He was a top 50 recruit. He's from California. And this, I'm thinking back of uh, when COVID was a thing, 2020, I believe they canceled all High school football in California. So Jake Garcia and his family packed their bags, moved to Georgia to play, I think, what would have been his senior season in high school. And I don't know the complete backstory, but I think there's some kind of rule where you can't relocate just for football. It has to be legitimate. Your parents have moved. I don't think, I don't know. I don't, again, I don't know the backstory, but he played like one game and he was ineligible. I think he was even playing for Rush Probst. If you know that name, got ineligible, had to change schools. He he was at five different high schools in four years. So this is a guy that's uh, no stranger to moving around. But that did not prevent him from being a top recruit. He redshirted his first year at Miami last year. 59% completion percentage. We'd like to see that improve a little bit. 803 passing yards, five touchdowns, four interceptions. Coming out of high school, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, Ohio State, Oregon, Texas, and Southern Cal all offered him. So you know this guy's got massive, massive potential, and he's got three years of eligibility remaining. I don't know what it is with uh, these quarterbacks nowadays getting older and older, but he will turn 22 during next football season, and he is listed technically as a redshirt freshman. Even though he's redshirted one year, so he got the and then he got a COVID year, so he's got a couple to play. <laughs> he could be the next Stetson Bennett, Hendon Hooker, being 25 years old in college football down the line. And don't forget Brady Cook, who was the starting quarterback for Missouri last season. He's out for the spring, 
So this is going to be an opportunity for Jake Garcia to kind of cement himself potentially as Missouri's starting quarterback. They got a new offensive coordinator, Kirby Moore from Fresno State. California connection there with Jake Garcia. Have to believe Kirby Moore was instrumental in getting Jake Garcia to come to Columbia. Don't forget the redshirt freshman Sam Horn. But uh, this will be another fascinating quarterback battle across the SEC. We got a three-man competition at Ole Miss. Now it looks like we got a three-man competition in Columbia. And don't forget, I, I know Dominic Lovett left. That was a big blow. But they do got Luther Burden who arguably has got more talent than Dominique Lovett. And they added Oklahoma transfer receiver Theo Weiss, who when I watched Oklahoma just to learn more about Spencer Rattler, I thought Weiss was their best receiver. Again, this this is going back to 2020 and some in the 2021 season. So just based on what I know, Theo Weiss is a hell of a player. Nice pickup for Missouri. Can do a lot of the things that Dominique Lovett took with him, so to speak, to Athens. So Jake Garcia, we'll get to this in a minute, but certainly factored in to my power rankings. Speaking of Missouri, Arkansas picked up a former Missouri defensive lineman, Trajan Jeffcoat, who was all SEC in the 2020 COVID season, and he's kind of regressed. He's not been at that elite level since that time, but a very productive player, a loss, no doubt, there was uh, a bunch of speculation he was going to go to South Carolina. They need help on the defensive line. Uh, I don't know the reason why he's not at South Carolina. Now he's at Arkansas. But the fact that three SEC teams are all connected to Trajan Jeffcoat lets you know what caliber of a player he really is. So this is potentially a nice pickup for Arkansas if they can unlock that all-SEC potential. This could be an addition that flies under the radar across the SEC, but he could have a huge impact for an Arkansas defense looking to turn the corner under first-year defensive coordinator Travis Williams. One pickup that certainly should not go unnoticed or fly under the radar in the SEC, Ole Miss, the Portal King, Lane Kiffin, do it again. We focus so much on these quarterbacks. Well, over the weekend, they added a linebacker from Louisville, Monte Montgomery, and I heard from a couple of people that I respect, they thought this was the best linebacker in the entire portal. 160 tackles, 23 and a half tackles for loss, 15 sacks, seven forced fumbles, three interceptions. I mean, this guy does it all. Ole Miss, very thin at linebacker. You got to imagine Monty Montgomery's going to slide in immediately as a starter in Pete Golding's defense. That's weird to say for Ole Miss, but hey, I'm loving what I'm seeing. The past couple of weeks from Ole Miss, how they're restocking the roster, making big moves in the coaching staff. I think that is a hell of a pickup for Lane Kiffin and company. Staying in the state of Mississippi, I did not see this one going, but I love it too. Vanderbilt, former Vanderbilt, I should say, quarterback Mike Wright has committed to Mississippi State. What? Mike Wright, Will Rogers. I mean, you could not get more different skill set sets into quarterbacks that are competing for that job but Mississippi State you got to remember they lost Daniel Greek, Sawyer Robertson and Braden Lockie those were all quarterbacks that have hit the portal since Zach Arnett took over that program so Mississippi State was looking at a two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster Will Rogers one of the most accomplished passers in the country and 
Chris Parson, a true freshman. So they had to add somebody. I didn't think they could get someone of Mike Wright's caliber, but again, Mike Wright, dynamic athlete, started the season for Vanderbilt when they came out. Remember, they were red hot. They were the talk of college football week zero. They beat the hell out of Hawaii. I mean, that was a laugher. Mike Wright was huge in that game. He ended up losing that job to uh, the freshman, A.J. Swan, who, you know, he looked incredible at times. But then Swan got hurt. Mike Wright stepped back up, and he led them to wins on the road against Kentucky and beating the Florida Gators back-to-back SEC wins, something that uh, literally they had not won an SEC game, what, in three seasons. So that gives you an indication. Mike Wright, he's, he's a true leader. He was one of the team leaders for Vanderbilt. And, and imagine losing your job, coming back, not getting down on yourself in the air today when these quarterbacks shut it down, transfer, I'm ready to get out of here because I lost my job. Not Mike Wright. Now he finds a home in Starkville. I'm going to be fascinated to see how he fits in a Mississippi State because he's too good to keep off the field. And you got Will Rogers, who the main complaint I hear from people when they talk about Will Rogers is he doesn't have running ability. Well, they got that in spades now in Mike Wright. So will they play both of them? I would imagine possibly they will. So that's going to be very interesting to see. And final one here, I, I just I love any time we got Alabama and Georgia connected here because those programs are so connected already. Even when they don't play each other, those fan bases go at it nonstop. But Alabama has added former Georgia linebacker Tresman Marshall, touted recruit, didn't get on the field a ton. I think he mostly played special teams for Georgia with their loaded defense. But Alabama adds a former elite recruit, top prospect that uh, Georgia beat out a lot of SEC schools for. I, I think he's a junior now, so he may only have a season or two left to play. But if Alabama's picking him up, gives you an indication of what they think he can do. And obviously the system's very similar, so it's going to be fascinating to see. So many people instantly made the connection. Glenn Schumann must be headed to Alabama. <laughs> I wouldn't go quite that far just because of uh, Tresman Marshall's commitment here, but I just thought that was funny. But all right, hey, SEC updated power rankings. Let's get to it. Number 14 remains unchanged. Vanderbilt Commodores, you lose Mike Wright, you lose Ray Davis, two of your biggest playmakers, and not only do you lose them, but you lose them to fellow SEC programs. Tough, tough blow for the Vanderbilt Commodores, but we're moving in the right direction. Love the progress of Clark Lee's program, but I think any list like this has to start with Vanderbilt, number 14. And, hmm, I don't know. Well, I did see some critiques. They beat number 13 on the list, so let's get right to it. Florida Gators. And again, this is not a list of last season. This is a list of Team A, meets Team B on a neutral field, who am I taking? I would certainly take Florida to beat Vanderbilt if they rematched again today. Is uh, Jaden Rashad, I don't want to make it overblown because, hell, he never even stepped foot on campus, so it's not a major loss, but I still got big question marks of where Billy Napier will go with his starting quarterback. You have to assume at this point it's going to be Graham Mertz. I don't know if that's a good thing or not based on conversations I've had. But, 
you know, losing some important pieces here. Justin Shorter's gone. Osiris Torrance gone. Two of the linemen just have transferred now to Southern Cal. So they fixed the offensive line in a in an off season, which was fantastic. But now you've lost many of the key pieces. So I would, it'll be interesting to see how Florida revamps that. The defense was just awful last season, and I don't. I love what they did in recruiting, but how many of those guys will be able to compete for starting positions year one? I don't know. It remains to be seen. I'm really down on Florida right now, and it. I don't know. I was high on them last offseason. Now I'm down on them. That's that's basically how it goes on this show. Number 12, catching a lot of heat for this. Auburn Tigers. Yes, they're killing it in the transfer portal. So I got to give them their due here. Maybe they, they do make a big 180, but we're still missing a quarterback. Robbie Ashford, if he's your guy, I think you're going to be stuck at, at the bottom of the SEC West. And clearly they, you know, they tried to get Grayson McCall. There was uh, some recruitment of Spencer Sanders. Apparently, you're not allowed to say that and say they wanted him. Apparently, they didn't want him. I don't know why. Heard many people say Spencer Sanders would be the ideal fit for Hugh Freeze, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, their line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, a train wreck when Hugh Freeze got there. They have addressed a lot of that via the transfer portal, but you can't just insert bodies and, and get that chemistry particularly on the offensive line. They're going to have their work cut out for them this spring and in training camp, getting that unit ready to go. Good days are coming for Auburn football. I'm just, I'm kind of pumping the brakes on on just how much we'll see right away. And, uh, you know, Hugh, Hugh Freeze is going to win down there. But until further notice, I got to keep him right around this uh, 12 range. Catching heat, basically I just catch heat for all these, but number 11, Arkansas, I've docked you a couple points, Kendall Brown's gone, Barry Odom gone, I know we're all convinced Dan Enos is a major upgrade, Travis Williams, major upgrade, I'm not ready to go quite that far, lost a lot of pieces via the transfer portal, brought some in as well though, so you know that might be a, a net equal there perhaps, uh, you got to completely reworked receiving room for the second year in a row that you managed it well last offseason. If you do it again with some of these pieces you're bringing in, you just got an outstanding coaching staff is what it is. The offensive line down some pieces. I get it. I mean, I you got arguably the best quarterback in the SEC. You got arguably the best running back in the SEC. But that defense, man, they're, they're missing some pieces. And I said it on a recent show Players that have declared for the NFL draft. I think Drew Sanders is going to be the toughest player of any SEC player to replace that declared early for the NFL draft. Doesn't mean they can't replace him, but that, I mean, that's a huge hole for Arkansas's defense. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's only fair for now. Arkansas, number 11, the schedule, it's not quite the gauntlet that it normally is. So, uh, there is, I think I'd rather be underrated than overrated. Let them work. Let's see what they are on the field. And, hell, I'll probably change this list in another week or two and, and bump them back up. Number 10, Missouri. So I moved you way up. Love the addition of Kirby Moore, offensive coordinator. Not sitting here saying that Jake Garcia coming in here is, is going to be your savior, but the fact that you got him, the fact that you got Sam Horn, competition. You don't want another season of uh and, and Brady Cook was injured 
You know, that was revealed later. So it's not, I don't even know how fair it is to criticize him. But if you got those three guys competing and they're all healthy, you have to believe that the quarterback position will be a position of strength for Missouri next season. Many defenders returned that several of them I thought would jump to the NFL. So that's another reason that I've kicked Missouri up here to a top 10 team in the SEC. Had them 13 in my last power rankings. Mizzou going to continue to fly under the radar, but possibly the most improved team in the SEC if they can get solid quarterback play this fall. Mississippi State, number nine. This is another team I dropped back a little bit. It's nothing they did wrong. It's more, I think, some of these other teams. I've been impressed with some of the moves they've made. Zach Arnett, debut as a head coach. It's going to be pretty interesting to see. You just you never know with these guys. I mean, he could be the next Nick Saban. He could be the next Chad Morris. I mean, say what you want. Chad Morris, his reputation was incredible when he was at Clemson as an offensive coordinator. He nearly landed the Texas A&M job. And when he didn't get that, he turned he pivoted and got the Arkansas job. So you just never can tell how these guys are going to do when it's their program they're running. He's far and away the youngest head coach in the SEC. He may even be the youngest coach in the FBS. Uh, But I do love the fact that uh, his staff, I love the additions he made. They finalized that staff. And a lot of these coaches that he's working with, he doesn't have experience with. But they're highly rated guys. And what that tells me is two things, really. Zach Arnett has got people in coaching circles that he trusts. He listens to them. He's worked for Rocky Long, obviously worked for Mike Leach. So he's got some stellar connections. It's one thing to hire someone you've never worked with before, but you, you really got to have faith in the, the people recommending these coaches to you, so to speak. Because a lot of these coaches, I know it's going to be shocking, but they just hire their buddies. They hire guys they grew up with, the guys that they GA'd with that are totally unqualified. That's how we get Marcus Satterfield as South Carolina offensive coordinator, even though he may have done a little bit better job than many of us realize. But that's how coaching mistakes are made oftentimes. You just hired people you came up with. Zach Arnett did not do that. He hired people that are highly rated, that he doesn't have relationships with, Outside of, uh, you know, a couple of guys, he did clear that the defensive coordinator was someone that worked with him his entire time there at Mississippi State, and he promoted him. But I think that's a that's a strong start for Mississippi State. The way they finished in recruiting, the way they handled the transfer portal, I think it's quite clear Zach Arnett, at least early, he's got a firm grasp of his duties down there, and he's doing a good job. Now, number eight, Ole Miss. This is a team that I did move up several spots here. Pete Golding, love that hire for Ole Miss. I think he will be. Same thing we've been saying. He, Alabama may be happy to get rid of him. Ole Miss should be thrilled that they got him. Uh, he is far and away a better option than what they had previously as a defensive coordinator. He's better as a recruiter. Uh, you know That's the knock, obviously, on Lane Kiffin. He doesn't like to recruit. Well, this Pete Golding, he loves it. I mean, this is what he does. Walker Howard was instrumental that getting his commitment there in Ole Miss. Pete Golding recruits the state of Louisiana. Walker Howard's from Louisiana. You see the ties there. But 
Pete Golding, I think, is going to knock it out of the park and makes Ole Miss very interesting. Same thing we were saying about Missouri with all these quarterbacks. You bring in Spencer Sanders. You bring in a Walker Howard. Jackson Dart may be pissed, but if you just cater to to players that are not quite getting it done, and not saying Jackson Dart wasn't getting it done, but, hey, this is big-time football. This is basically they run it as mini NFL down there at Ole Miss. They bring in free agents every year to try to take your job. How are you going to respond to that? Do you go into a shell or does that make you better? Does that make you work harder being pushed? No, you can lose your job this offseason. We'll find out what Jackson Dart's really all about. And, this, you know, adding those players may be the best thing that ever happened to Jackson Dart because I don't think there's any way to look at this and say they're bringing in Spencer Sanders to do anything other than start. So what is Jackson Dort going to do? He's He's got to work his ass off. He's got to be a better player. And if he beats Spencer Sanders out, you'll know he had really earned it. And, uh, hell, Spencer Sanders may be <laughs> gone before, before anybody. I mean, who knows how that's going to play out. But I, I really like the moves. They're not content down there after a dreadful, dreadful finish. I'm not writing off Ole Miss. Not at this point. All right, number seven. Big jump here. Texas A&M, back on a bandwagon. Thank you. Thank you for bringing in Bobby Petrino, Jimbo. I mean, I I think this could be uh, a hell of a pickup. And, yeah, the depth is going to be an issue, just like it potentially, you know, just like it kind of was last season with uh, so many transfers heading out of the program. But sometimes when you lose guys that aren't bought in, guys that are causing trouble, addition by subtraction – Maybe that's a thing down there in College Station. We got to get this defense going, though. That's certainly an issue. I saw a stat that uh, I believe of the 22 starters in the LSU game, I think they're bringing back 19 of them. And the other three that they're they aren't left early for the NFL. Now they may have been their three best players, so you got to replace those. But A&M's got all the talent in the world. They're not going to have any expectations. It's probably exactly where they need to be until they've earned that reputation. Come into a season, not being top 10, not being top 15. Hell, they're probably not even going to be ranked, and I don't think they should be. Who cares? You come in here, you got something to prove. Jimbo's got his back against the wall, so to speak. Uh, Connor Wigman showed enough, I think, at the end of the season to to give you a, a ton of faith that he could be the best quarterback that Jimbo has had at Texas A&M. I mean, Kellamond will certainly have something to say about that. But Connor Wigman, as a freshman, I think he looked just as good from what I can remember of Kellamond as a freshman. So he's, he'll have a long way to go. But there's pieces to build around. And I really think if there is a dark horse in the SEC that could come out of nowhere, be what LSU was last season, next season, I think it's Texas A&M. All right, number six, Kentucky. Ooh, maybe Speaking about dark horse, maybe Kentucky, we could throw them into that conversation as well. But just love the fact that uh, of all their issues, quarterback, running back, offensive line, addressed it via the transfer portal. Because the offense was so dreadful last season, I think people don't understand how good the defense is. If they can just get a competent offense going, Liam Cohen back to engineer the offense going from one of the best in the recent SEC history and losing one of the worst in SEC history. 
Uh, I mean, what's not to like? Again, this is another program that uh, needs the disrespect, does not need to be praised. Kentucky is probably not going to be ranked. They don't deserve to be ranked. But if they can get Devin Leary going, if they can get Ray Davis to slide in seamlessly to replace Chris Rodriguez, Kentucky has got a very nice core. And they've got maybe the best trio of receivers in the SEC, possibly. That may be going a little too far because they, two of them were true freshmen last season. But they showed promise. They showed that, uh, you know, Devin Leary could, could slide right in here and be more productive than he ever was at NC State. And if he does just that, Kentucky's going to have a hell of a year, a nice bounce back year here under Mark Stoops. Number five, the South Carolina Gamecocks. Big question here after Spencer Sanders and, and Juice Wells return. What will this Dow Loggins offense look like? That's going to be one of the biggest questions entering next season in the SEC. I love what the Gamecocks are doing out on special teams. I mean, hell, they got the best special teams coach in college football, Beamer Ball. It's funny we call it Beamer Ball when it's Pete Limbo Ball, but it is what it is. Uh, South Carolina finished strong, and, it, man, if they just keep that momentum going, they're going to be one hell of a dangerous team next season. But I will admit, I think there is a rather large drop-off between five and four. You could kind of, between five and 10, 11, maybe even 12, you could kind of talk me into any of these teams. I just lean heavily on Spencer Rattler back for another season. I think that is potentially huge because he's got all the talent in the world. We've seen it. We've seen it against Tennessee. We've seen it against Clemson. If they can get that guy to show up 12 times next fall, they ain't losing many games. I'm just telling you right now. And, and maybe playing for Dow Loggins will unlock all that talent. Now, arguably the, the most controversial of this entire list, Alabama, number four. <laughs> I mean, what are we basing them on? We don't know who the coordinators would be. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Offensive line has been an issue. Receivers, yeah, they started to emerge a little bit, but not anywhere near the caliber they have been. Um, they're just a hard team to evaluate. And I get it. They got all the talent in the world. They just signed the greatest recruiting class ever. Well, hell, Texas A&M did that last year. It didn't help. Uh, Alabama had the number one class in 2021. About a third of those guys are gone already. So, yeah, you're going to have to convince me of something else other than the freshmen are going to come in here and save the day at Alabama. We got a loaded roster. We got the greatest college coach of all time. But the cracks are in the armor, so to speak. And I don't know. If, if you put Alabama on a neutral field with no Bryce Young, no Will Anderson, the current roster they have, give me the top three teams I got on this list to beat them, starting with number three, Tennessee, Joe Milton. And we're back on the Joe Milton train. Never said a bad word about Joe Milton. I was hacked otherwise, if you, if you find anything to the contrary. But I just think it's fascinating, Josh Heupel, the job he's done. And then you look at uh, the bowl game against Clemson. We're down our starting quarterback. We're down our Bolitnikoff receiver. We're down our second receiver. We're down our best linebacker. We're, bet, we're down our best safety. They just plug and play, guys. 
And they are getting to the point in that roster where they're deep enough across the board. I think this is, uh, you know, their recruiting class is like number 10, but it is loaded with potential impact players at critical positions, linebacker, secondary, quarterback, running back, receiver. Tennessee's here to stay, I really do think. As long as Josh Heupel's here, the offense will be high-flying. Tim Banks, I know he catches hell for that South Carolina game, which he should, but one game does not define how good of a coach he is. The defense won him the Pitt game, the LSU game, the Clemson game. Defense here at Tennessee, they've been uh, at or number one in, in tackles for loss both years there under Tim Banks. They make big-time plays, pick sixes, interceptions. I like what Tim Banks is doing on the defensive side of the ball. And considering also you have to factor in how many snaps they have to play because Tennessee's offense goes so, so damn fast. Um, it, it's not an easy job to be a defensive coordinator for Josh Heupel, and Tim Banks is handling it pretty well. Number two, LSU Tigers. Again, nine offensive starters returning next season. We do lose Keishaw Butte, who at one, you know, he said he was coming back. Now he's gone. I can be honest with you. I think that might be a positive. Again, again, another addition by subtraction. He was such a storyline year one under Brian Kelly. And hell, he couldn't even go a month without being a, a sideshow once again. So I think we wash our hands of that bringing in a talented receiver from Alabama that could potentially do a lot of the things that Kayshawn Boudé does. Um, I, I think their defensive coordinator, Matt House, very underrated. Mason Smith back on the defensive line. They've added about six, seven defensive linemen or front seven players via the transfer portal. They fixed their secondary via the transfer portal last offseason. Now they're fixing their front seven doing that same thing. Harold Perkins may be the best defensive player in the country. Brian Kelly, they're a sleeping juggernaut. They really are. And they, hell, every coach they've had in the last couple have won a national championship. The potential is always there. It's the volatility is what kills them. They cannot maintain it. Brian Kelly, I know he had a couple down years at Notre Dame, but I think he's like the all-time winningest coach there, at least the last 50 years or something. So he's won everywhere he's been. He's shown that he can consistently get his teams to perform all the potential in the world down there in Baton Rouge. As long as Brian Kelly doesn't screw it up, and I don't think anything in his history says he will, then LSU is here to stay. And right now, they're the team to beat in the SEC West, I really do think. So, of course, that just leaves – and Georgia Bulldogs, number one. I mean, you cannot do a list like this and not have Georgia number one. They're just that dominant. And I realize, remember we did the uh, NFL draft deadline, winners, losers, put Georgia on the losers, but that ain't going to slow them down, trust me. Uh, Georgia, more loaded than anybody, put up their roster against it. It matches up with everybody. Stetson off to the NFL that's a blow. He was super clutch, no doubt. But uh, I don't think Georgia is going to be slowing down anytime soon. And, uh, you know, I try not to factor in the schedule here at all. But, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're probably – they may get tested once. 
next season. So they're going to be staying at number one, I have to imagine, for some time um, until their trip to at Tennessee. And hell, all they you know they'll they'll probably hear for the first two months of the season how they're just going through these damn cupcakes, and that'll probably piss them off enough to to destroy. Tennessee on the road so give me Georgia number one in the SEC Georgia number one in the country the biggest issue that I had with Georgia was a lack of explosive plays and hell they went out here and got Ron Rod Thomas and Dominic Lovett Dominic Lovett's a big play waiting to happen so yeah they they shored up the only weakness if you can call that if you can even call it that on their roster it's Georgia's world, and we're just living in it at this point in time. But hey, all right, so that's all I got on this episode of the show. Appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out, trying to get some guests lined up for the rest of the week. Already got one coming on the next episode, so we're going to be locked and loaded the rest of the week, talking, going all across the league, talking some SEC football. I hope you'll join us. And hey, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.